Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at two countries, two issues, two crises, Russia and Hungary. Here in the studios, Neil Buckley, our Eastern Europe editor, just back from the Hungarian elections and also following very closely the growing confrontation between Russia and the West over sanctions, Syria and much else. And on the line from Brussels, to give the EU perspective, is our Brussels Bureau Chief, Alex Barker. Neil, first, let's start with this Russia confrontation. I know you're writing at the moment on the enormous impact the latest round of American sanctions has had on Russian business. Just give us a sense of what's happened. Well, there's been a huge fall in Russian equity markets, but also in the value of the ruble, for example. This is similar to what happened after the Ukraine crisis and the sanctions that were introduced in relation to that. But I think what's different this time is that the individuals targeted go well beyond the inner circle of Vladimir Putin, if you like, and into the realm of private business and some individuals with little apparent link to the Kremlin or to Mr. Putin. And also the list, although it's actually quite short, has got a very diverse and somewhat surprising cast list, which I think has introduced a great uncertainty into future measures that could be taken and given the impression that actually no Russian business owner or Russian business is necessarily safe now. Obviously, the intent of these are sanctions that came out of Washington, but Western sanctions, shall we say more broadly, is to try to change Putin's behavior across a range of issues from interference in Western elections to Syria to things like the Skripal poisoning in the UK. But do you think, from what you're observing of Russian behavior, that they're more likely to moderate? Or do you, in some sense, you're kind of growing anger and paranoia in Moscow? I think it's the latter. I think Russia is feeling very much backed into a corner by these various different measures and also the possibility of some military response to what's happened in Syria. Now, arguably, Russia and Moscow has only itself to blame for this, but that doesn't stop them from feeling that they are being pushed up against a wall or into a corner. And I think that does make the situation very dangerous And I think it raises the possibility of escalation in the short term rather than Moscow or Mr Putin being prepared to back down in any way. And indeed, Russian rhetoric is really now explicitly talking about war, even nuclear war. Yes, this has been a little bit of a pattern ever since the Ukraine crisis in 2014, but it's reached a pitch that we haven't seen before with Russian news channels showing pictures of mushroom clouds and advising Russians to stock up on essential goods in case of war with the US and lots of kind of Western-friendly foreign policy analysts openly warning now about the prospect of military clash and serious escalation. So it's really reached a different level from what we've seen before, and I think that is alarming. Alex, do you think people in Brussels, which is obviously the meeting point for all the major European powers, as well as the headquarters of the EU itself... Are they aware of the depth of this crisis? Oh, very much so. You do see, though, the kind of classic fault lines emerging between the member states over both the use of military force that's 
potentially coming up in Syria, and also in terms of how the Union should approach Russia. And on the military force, you can see Emmanuel Macron signaling a tougher position where they may be going in to join the US in any strikes. The UK wary about parliamentary approval. The Germans wary about the use of force. And then on the Russia side, the Skripal case having brought a degree of unity behind the UK. There are, though, the Italians in particular, Federico Mogherini, who are wary of pushing the Russians too much into a corner and only using sanctions as a tool of policy with Russia and missing out on a dialogue which will avoid unnecessary costs and risks and dangers. And that debate is probably going to play out more openly next week when foreign ministers are meeting in Luxembourg. And once we do see what the Trump administration is planning in terms of its response in Syria. And of course, I guess things are complicated by the fact that the face of Western response to Russia at the moment is Donald Trump. His administration, who rather surprisingly, given his reputation for being soft on Russia, pushed the sanctions and is now talking about swift military response in Syria. So presumably there is a certain reluctance in Brussels to put their trust in the Trump administration. Indeed. And predictability isn't something they're expecting out of D.C. at the moment. And that colours their approach not just to the U.S. agenda, but how they think about other relations around the world and Russia in particular. So it's at a point where you can see the divergences becoming much more open in coming days as the kind of gravity of the situation unfolds. And of course, one of the divisions within the EU, Neil, is this emerging divide between the populist right in Central Europe and the older members of the EU, if I can put it that way, France, Germany, and so on. And you're just back from Hungary, where Viktor Orban, who's the face of all this, has won a smashing electoral victory. Do you think that that is going to, in a way, inflame tensions with the rest of the EU? Or do you think actually now he's well established, the EU will just shrug and let him get on with it? I think it is likely to inflame tensions. There are some people close to Fidesz, the ruling party in Hungary, who are suggesting that Orban emerges strengthened from all this and can emerge as a kind of leader of central European countries that have particular ideas about the kind of EU that they want to see and that he can sit down with Angela Merkel and actually thrash out some kind of a compromise. I mean, this is a line that's coming out of the Fidesz camp but I think most observers would expect not compromise, but actually an increase in political confrontation within the EU between very different visions of the EU's future now. And what was the response in Brussels to the Orban victory, Alex? On the one hand, he is a member of the European People's Party, the biggest centre-right bloc in the parliament. There's not much coherence in the politics of the EPP, but they do stick together. And you saw leaders congratulate Orban on his victory. At the same time, there is a clear sense of foreboding about that campaign, about it, what it says about the EU as a union of values. You saw that in other more terse responses from the likes of Donald Tusk, the European Council president. And what will be interesting is a lot of the problems in terms of the state of the democracy in Hungary were something that they see as a problem that was created a few years ago. 
and they are very much aware that the EU doesn't really have the tools to turn that around from afar. But Viktor Orban has been quite biddable in the past at EU level and quite canny about where he picks fights at EU level. He doesn't tend to confront them over essential principles like will I follow the law or a court ruling, but pick big political themes that he can tub thump over. But he doesn't tend to bring that to the council table, to the summit table, and he doesn't tend to overtly contradict the EU on the basic rules of the game of how this union operates. Whether that changes will be fascinating to see. For instance, on something like Russia, he's always been more moderate towards Russia, but never enough to really use a veto on something like sanctions. And most people here think that will continue, even as the politics at domestic level may get worse. To finish then, Alex, more broadly, it seems to me, sitting where I am, that we are seeing Orban far from isolated now within the EU and potentially an informal leader of a new style of populist, nationalist politics, which does certainly contradict the normal consensus in Brussels, so that if you look around, there's obviously the Poles who they're close to. But even within Western Europe, say the League in Italy, which seem to be about to enter the government, are Orbanist in their approach. The CSU in Germany have welcomed him. The Austrian Freedom Party are in government. And those are all not Central European countries. Those are all previous EU15. So do you think this challenge to the EU consensus is really quite dangerous from their perspective? What is definitely the case is that there is a rightward shift in the politics of a lot of member states. And that is most vocally expressed in the politics of Viktor Orban. Whether Viktor Orban can be a leader within the EU of that agenda is a different matter. He's not shown in the past the ability to kind of build coalitions. And actually, on a lot of EU policies, he's been losing ground in areas that are important to Hungary. I think you can definitely see that consensus being challenged at an ideological level, at a political level. Whether Viktor Orban is going to be the vehicle for that, I'm not so convinced. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Alex Barker in Brussels, to Neil Buckley here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.